Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Thanks very much, Coralie. Um, it's nice to be uh, down here this morning. Uh, as we were praying this morning, there's uh, camps on this week, so there's lots of people away. Um, but uh, good to be at your level. Um, when I heard I was speaking about patience, uh, my initial thought was, can't wait. <laughs> good. I'm glad everyone got that joke. <laughs> the reason it makes sense as a joke is because... We often think about patience as being able to wait. Uh, but as Barbara was showing us in that video before, there's a bit more to it than just being able to wait. Actually, the Bible has a lot um, that goes into that meaning of the word patience. It's, it's about more like bearing with someone instead of getting angry. It's about being merciful and compassionate with others. So see if you can answer this question. Who has been the most patient to you in your life out of these three people? Number one, your mother. Number two, your primary school teacher. Number three, a shopkeeper who was serving you when you took a long time to make up your mind. Your mother, primary school teacher, shopkeeper, who's been the most patient with you? Discuss that with the person next to you. Okay, I wonder how we did in that. There is a right answer. Uh, the right answer is one, uh, your mother. That might not have been what you wanted to say. You might feel like your mother is the person who in your life you've seen the most anger from, but she's also the person who's had to bear with you the most. The reason is that true patience is relational. It's relational. Uh, 
it might be helpful to know the, the word in the original Greek that we find in Galatians 5 in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, patience, is the word macrothumia. So two parts, macro, meaning big or long, thumia, meaning uh, temper or passions. So it's, it's having a long temper instead of having a short temper. We have the word short temper in English, but it's like a long temper. But um, it is more than that because it's, uh, it, the, the context in Galatians 5 is all relational. So we're going, to, we're going to be focusing less on sort of losing our temper because we accidentally broke our new toy and more on at how we treat others whom we find hard to love, how we bear with others and forgive them even when it's really hard, even when they have seriously wronged us. You see, the patience we're going to see in the Bible is nothing like what we see in our relationships in the world. Actually, the true patience is found only in God. But the crazy thing that we're seeing in this series is that God wants us to be like him. He wants us to be as patient as he is. So before we get into it, uh, I do have a warning, um, and that is that uh, when we see the patience of God clearly... um, It will be so unlike what we're used to, it has the potential to be a bit contentious, even dangerous. There are lots of times in the Bible where people start to understand what Jesus is about, and they see the depths of his patience, and they hate it, and they try and kill him. God's patience is revolutionary, and seeing it could change your life. Fair warning. Uh, We're going to look at God's patience first, and then we're going to see what it's like if we had that patience of God. So firstly, um, God's patience, God's patience. We're going to see how big God's patience is uh, on the cosmic scale of all history, and then we're going to focus into seeing God's patience in its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So the first thing we need to see about God's patience is that he is immensely patient with us sinners. In Romans uh, chapter 3, Paul writes this, and it's on the screen. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. There are some words in there that would be uh, worthwhile just making sure we understand, um, so that we understand that the background to God's patience. Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the the glory of God. That means everyone. So you, me, me. Stalin, Mother Teresa, we're all in the same boat. None of us have lived a good enough life to come to God and say, I am pure, I deserve glory, or I deserve eternity. The only thing we have earned for ourselves is judgment because of our self-centered rejection of God. So all have sinned, but that also means, verse 24, that all must be justified freely by his grace. Because we're all in the same boat, this is the only way anyone can be justified. 
we're all treated the same way when we're justified. To be justified means that God treats us as perfect. But you see, it is a free gift from God because it is the only way for sinners to be right with him. And isn't it amazing that he, he wants us to be perfect, so he justifies us. He gives it to us as a free gift. But we may then ask, how can God justify sinners? He might want to do that, but how is he right to do that? Verse 25, God presents Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. He did it through Jesus paying with his own death. He's able to offer us not just forgiveness, but that, com- that legal status of perfection. Because Jesus has been handed that sentence, sentence on our behalf. So the justice is done. But the crazy thing we come to at the end of this uh, passage is that um, God was saving people well before, well before Jesus, uh, all throughout history. He was gathering a people to himself. There was always the true believers um, who he considered justified. He considered right. Now, we've just said that the only way to be right is through the death of Jesus. So was God, being, was God doing something different with those believers in the Old Testament? Or was he being unfair? No, not at all. All have sinned. All are justified the same way. And so... He, we, we read at the end of this, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness. So, so he, is, he is just because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And that idea of forbearance is something that I want us to think about as we start to think about patience. So since the beginning of humanity, since we rebelled against God in the beginning, since that time, as he's, been, as he's still been relating to people, not just sort of waiting for Christ to come, but saving people all throughout the Old Testament for thousands of years of human history, as those people have been saved, God has not yet, in the the history of humanity, got to the atonement of Jesus. And when he saves his people, they don't become perfect straight away. Like us, they continue to sin. And every sin is a personal attack on God, an insult to him, an offense to him. So what is God being all that time throughout history? He is being very, very, very patient. He's not just waiting because, in some sense, he is having to absorb in himself the pain of sin until he is able to justly do away with it on the cross of Jesus. And I wonder, is that the way we think about God? We often think about uh, God's wrath, which is his fair, settled anger against sin. And that's important. We need to understand his wrath. And his patience doesn't take away from that at all, uh, because his wrath isn't short-tempered, where his patience is long-tempered. His, his, his His wrath is never like that. It's never uncontrolled outbursts, or as Galatians 5 says, fits of rage. And as as we see in these passages, the two meet perfectly in the cross, his justice and his mercy. But let me ask you this question. Which do you think of 
as a more integral part of God's character. Okay, his wrath or his patience. You can't split God and take one away from the other. Um, but which one seems uh, more crucial, more core to the characteristic of God? I think the Bible seems to emphasize God's patience over and above his wrath. You see, we're not dealing with some kind of, uh, some idea of God from our heads, some, some stale academic idea of God from human philosophy. The God of the Bible is deep, and his character is constantly surprising us. And this is an area where I think we need to be surprised more and more. God bore that the pain and the suffering of watching his people continue to sin until Jesus. And the crazy thing is, he didn't do that through gritted teeth. He wanted to do it. He wants to be just, yes, but he also wants to be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And that is what he wants for you. That is his, his attitude towards you, his inclination towards you. Uh, another great passage for us to see this in is, is in Exodus 34. Um, God says he's going to reveal his character to Moses in this passage. And this is what it says. It's on, on the screen. Then God came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The forbearance idea in Romans 3 is a part of God's patience. Here, uh, in, another, in a part of the Old Testament, very near the beginning of the Bible, we see an idea that is even more strongly linked to patience, being slow to anger. And the important thing to note here is that this is God revealing his character to his people. This is him talking about his special name, the Lord, or Yahweh. This is who he is, what he's really like. Compassion, grace, patience. This is who he is naturally, who he loves to be. Um, I've got four children, four young boys, um, and, you know, they fight and hurt each other a lot, sometimes accidentally, sometimes on purpose. Um, but they know they have to say sorry, and the person that they sorry, say sorry to, they, they know they have to say, I forgive you. But sometimes they disobey me and hurt me, and they say sorry. And sometimes it's very frustrating. And even when I remember to say, I forgive you, often in the moment, I don't mean it. Because... I'm still very angry. What they've done is, is, is definitely wrong. You know, I, I feel I have the right to be angry. And we can all think of examples in our daily lives um, with our partners, children, parents, friends, enemies, classmates, colleagues, neighbors, strangers. Someone really wrongs us, and it's really hard for us to then treat them kindly. Even, even on the outside, in our words and actions towards them, far, uh, far harder still in our hearts to feel kindly towards them 
um, towards someone that's hurt us. That, that kind of feeling goes against every bone in our body, doesn't it? They have hurt us. I have the right to be angry. But our God is not like that. The glory of his character is in his patience. And he has planned all of history to be able to be gracious towards you. Even though you've hated him, he actually wants to treat you kindly. He longs to rejoice over you with singing like a good father should. So if we're not yet seeing the depths of God's patience, in order for us to really see what he has planned for us when he talks about this kind of patience in the fruit of the spirits, we need to look uh, deeper into who God is before we move on to ourselves. Uh, so we're going to look at where God reveals his character the most clearly, which is in Jesus. We see his, his character shine out in many ways all throughout the Bible. Uh, but like every part of God, the real essentials of who God is uh, shine out the most in Jesus, condensed down when God becomes a man. His, his, his glory, his heavenly glory, in one sense, is in one sense taken off when he becomes a man, and yet his real glory of who he is and his character, um, when he comes in a form that we can see and touch, we see much more clearly, and we see the fulfillment of his name, the Lord, Yahweh, the God who would come patiently for us. So the second thing we need to see about patience is its ultimate fulfillment in Christ, in Christ. Let's first think about how Jesus' patience played out in his life. Think about who Jesus hangs out with and how he treats them. I'm going to throw out some examples uh, from the Gospels, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, if you've read those before, they might sound fairly familiar. But as I read them, just try and think about how it gives us an insight into the patience of God, how he, he comes as a man and bears with all these different people. So he heals the sick. He heals all the sick who would come to him, uh, even when there's an endless crowd, and that's not actually what he came to do. He keeps his priority clear, but he doesn't refuse to heal them just because that's not the main thing he came to do. He makes time for them. He eats with the sinners and the tax collectors. You think that the God who knows the depths of sin that's in the human heart would try to sort of contaminate himself as little as possible, but he shares a meal with the very people who, who know that their lives have been lived against him and everything he stands for. He lets a, a sinful, promiscuous woman come and touch his feet and cry on them, dry them with her hair and pour perfume on them. She's doing something socially scandalous. Uh, but Jesus commends her faith and doesn't expect her to meet some kind of standard, first of all. Another night, he's up all night with a, a Jewish leader, patiently explaining something uh, that the, the, the Jewish leader is struggling to understand. In fact, the, the only group of people that he, he doesn't seem to get on very well with are the religious leaders. Um, but he often answers their questions still. He's happy to sort of walk into their traps that they set for him in their questions just to teach them. He could call down fire for even questioning him, but instead he speaks the truth and loves them. He doesn't depose them as leaders and take his throne. Instead, he actually lets them plot to kill him. And he welcomes small children. He has time for them too. He's, he's not harsh with them, but gentle. 
In fact, he says that he's not expecting anyone to come to him with anything more than what these little children have. So we see his, his patience with sinners. But really, we see the, the character of Christ ultimately, not in his life, but in his death. This is the, the condensing of the condensing of God's character. Um, look at uh, Romans 5 verse 8 on the screen. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. Christ didn't come and die for a people who already loved him, did he? he um, everyone abandoned him at the cross, actually. Uh, by that point, it seemed like he was dying for no one. No one wanted him. Uh, he came towards us in overwhelming patience, not when we were already sorted, not when we wanted him. Not, we were completely not worth dying for, dying for. And he took the pain on his own innocent shoulders. Even at the very point of his death, as he hung on the cross. In his heart, he was patient towards sinners. He wasn't thinking, oh God, why do I have to go through this pain for these wretched people? Jesus never thought that way about us, even though he'd be perfectly right to. No, even as he went through the excruciating pain, even as people around him mocked and only piled up their hatred more and more on him, even then he was patient with us. Even then he didn't judge them as they deserved. Because we know this because, uh, as we see in this verse on the screen, Luke records that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is the patience of God. This is his attitude towards us sinners. This is the patience with which he relates to you and to me. Uh, this coming week, I'm taking some time off, and uh, my boys get to spend some time with their favorite people in the world, who are their two uncles and their grandpa. Um, they don't see them every week, so it's, you know, it's interesting to see what it is they remember about their, um, their uncles and grandpa, um, about what things sort of stick in their mind. You might have similar people uh, who you love, but you don't see them very often. What, what is it that kind of sticks in your mind? Um, well, I think for my boys, it will be uh, those times when um, all their uncles and their grandpa um, all play some kind of silly make-believe game where they're all some kind of uh, superheroes and it involves a lot of fighting each other. <laughs> but what immediately comes to mind when you think about God? If we tend to think of God as slightly frustrated with us because we know we're not as good as he wants us to be, then let me tell you that that is not the God of the Bible. That is a God of our imagination. If we think of God as, as Savior, but 
because we know what we're really like, a Savior who is saving us through gritted teeth. Well, that's not the God revealed in Jesus, is it? That is just a lie that we're told all the time and we often believe. And that's understandable. I fall for that lie every day. But we have to combat that lie by coming back to who God really is. Because as we're going to see and all throughout this series on the fruit of the Spirit, uh, if we want to see the fruit of patience in our lives, it will not come from inside ourselves and us trying harder. But it will grow as we dwell on God and his patience. We could look at lots of other passages uh, in the Bible and we could see God's patience all throughout the Bible. But I, I hope that was enough at least to, um, to get us to see that God's patience is not like our patience. It is a step change above everything we experience in our relationship in the world around us. And I know that I am not like God in his patience. So we might feel, as we think about uh, the fruit of the Spirit, that there's, there's kind of nowhere for us to go here. You, you might find with this series that as you come to understand what this fruit really looks like more and more, it just seems more and more out of reach, right? How, how can I be patient like God is on the cross? Well, then, as we come to see what this patience is going to look like in our lives, let's just spend a few minutes first thinking about how the fruit of the Spirit really works in our lives. You see, I think there's kind of two sides to it. <clears throat> um, one is that it's God's fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit of God. So it's important for us um, to remember that it, it, it's impossible for us to grow that fruit like him. It's impossible. Paul says in Galatians 5, before he lists the fruit, that um, if you try to keep them as if it was a to-do list, you will fail, and you will also destroy yourself and others. It's impossible for us. But we know that what is impossible with man is possible with God. It is his plan, his fruit, and he will just do it, even in our lives now. But the other side to it is that he's also going to do it ultimately in his plan. God will one day put everything right, and on that day, his people will actually be made perfect. As we were thinking about last week, that the fruit that we see in our lives now is really just a taste of the new creation to come. So what should we do then? In Galatians 5, Paul says we should keep in step with the Spirit. And I don't think that's meant to be something complicated or mysterious. It's, part of it is what God always asks of us, which is to repent and believe. As you hear the Spirit's message that uh, God wants you to be patient like this, then we need to respond not by saying, I can do that, but to repent first and recognize that we can't do that. But we also need to trust God it's his plan. He will produce the fruit in us. We respond in faith to trust God to do what seems impossible. The band, uh, the Grey Havens, have a song, See You Again, where they imagine 
uh, seeing a fellow Christian in the new creation. And one line uh, goes like this. I always knew you could be like this. I saw flashes and glimpses before. So God will do the impossible and change us. And we, we may only see sort of flashes and glimpses in this life, but we will see them. And they will be evidence of a miracle in our lives and a taste of the new creation. And so we should pursue God-like patience. Uh, we should want to know everything the Spirit has to say to us about growing in this fruit. Not by our own strength, but as a step of faith in God completing his work in us. So let's turn finally to that passage we heard right at the beginning as an opportunity to pursue patience and see that taste of the new creation. And if you've lost the page, uh, the page numbers are on the screen. So it's uh, page 985 if you've got the red Bibles, 986 if you've got the blue Bibles. So it's Matthew 18, uh, verses uh, 21 and to 35. I just want to comment on a few things in these um, verses. Firstly, the story um, talks about patience in terms of how much you're willing to forgive someone. And in verse 22, Jesus essentially says that uh, in, his, in his people, there should not be a limit to how much you're willing to forgive so first, uh, verse 21 says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered them, I tell, you, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Often, um, we often have a limit to the patience that we're prepared to extend to someone, don't we? They, they mess up and let us down, sure. We'll, we'll forgive them. They, it happens again, okay. Yep, we'll forgive in the back of our heads, there's a little counter that's ticking over, keeping track of the how, many, how many times they wrong us before we sort of cut them off. You know, if they're not going to get their act together, why should I keep entertaining this, this notion of forgiveness? You know, maybe it's five or six times, maybe, maybe 15, 16 times. Maybe, maybe it's a lot, like 30 or 40 times. I think we would probably lose track before we got to 77. It's not a hard number. The, the idea is, um, you know, there is no limit. It's a number that tells us to never give up um, on people. Not because of them, uh, but because that is what God wants from our patients. Uh, like uh, 1 Corinthians 13, when it describes the kind of love God's people should have, it says, love is patient, Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. No record of wrongs. So Jesus tells us this story, and he starts with what God is like. And that's where we need to start, isn't it? What, what, what God is like. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The king, is, uh, the, the king of the kingdom of heaven, so that's God, and unlike us, God has the right over 
our lives because he is our master. He is the creator. He is perfect, good, and just, and we have wronged him. So we owe him our whole lives, and we have not given that to him. Instead, we've taken these lives. We've, we've used them for ourselves. We've, we've lived against him. We owe him a lot. Um, converting 10,000 talents into today's money, the rough estimate is that it would be about five billion pounds. So imagine if you owed that to somebody. It's, it's not a debt you can repay. You know, um, it's a sum that just cannot be repaid. We're going to sing a song later that says, we stood beneath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. And in light of this, the servant's response is kind of foolish. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay it back. No, no, you can't pay it back. The solution to our debt of sin is not something that can be fixed with a bit of religion. The bad deeds come from us, our natural selfish lives, continuing to live, hoping we can somehow build up good deeds in the future to outweigh what we've done, will only leave us in more debt. And it's just insulting to God. No, here is the, the master's solution in verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But hold on a second. The servant just asked for patience, just to wait a bit, and he would pay it back. But the master cancels the debt. Five billion pounds. <laughs> the master just absorbs that cost on himself, and he writes it off. Well, this is what God has done for us, isn't it? He's not just given us a second chance. He's not just helped us to turn over a new leaf. He has canceled the debt of sin. It is canceled. It is gone. The master wanted to settle his accounts. We assume that means he'll want all his money paid back. But actually, there is another way that we didn't expect for him to settle the accounts. He could just cancel the debt. And so this helps us know how we should treat others. In some parts of the Bible, it uses patience to talk about waiting for God's judgment. For example, when we're being kind of persecuted from the world, wait, God will judge, God will take vengeance. But what do we do when a Christian brother or sister sins against us? Will they get their justice eventually? Well, no, they won't, because it's already been paid by Jesus on the cross. But we need to remember that this is a way that God is allowed to settle that account on the cross. That is where that wrong has been taken to, and justice has been done. Now, in the situation, we might think, well, that means that in my relationships with other Christians, I actually get less justice? Well, yes, in one sense you do. You don't get what you deserve. But we need to remember that us not getting what we deserve is a good thing because the cross means that you don't get the justice you deserve either, which is, which is judgment from God. So then it's, 
sad to see what the servant does. If you look at verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. The amount that the um, servant was owed by his fellow servant is 100 denarii. I think there's a footnote in the NIV that says it's just a few pounds. Some people, uh, in terms of the conversion, they say it could be up to a, a, thousand, a few thousand pounds. So it might even be a significant amount, but does it, it doesn't really matter when you're comparing it to five billion. <laughs> but before the servant has a chance to say anything, to defend himself, the first servant has already got his hands around his neck. doesn't even give him a chance to explain. And even when the second servant reacts the exact same way the first did and falls on his knees and begs for patience, it has no effect. The evil servant is making no reference to what has just happened with his master. And it's obvious to everybody else. But finally, I took great encouragement from the final verse that Jesus actually expects this change in Christians. And I think that's an encouragement. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. There'll be judgment for those who can't get this, for those that don't respond to the gospel, for those that don't trust in Jesus' repayment of their debt. And that trust will and should result in forgiving as we have been forgiven. But it's encouraging to know that Jesus expects that there will be a group of people who, who will not face that fate of that judgment, who will instead be changed, who will learn to forgive their brothers and sisters from the heart. And the encouragement is that can be us. We can be those who forgive, not through gritted teeth, but from our hearts, because we really want to. We want to enjoy extending to others the same free forgiveness we have enjoyed. When your debt has been canceled, you are a free man. And Galatians 5 says that we are free then to love. So let's um, bring this all together. We, we started by thinking about how patience is relational. It's more than just a nice virtue. But you may have been thinking about um, how you're sometimes short-tempered with um, a housemate or a child, your sibling. And those are good things to think about, and we, we can discuss lots of examples of those uh, maybe later over, over tea and coffee. But I think the key place where we want to apply this is in the local church. 
The local church is where the taste of the new creation is most experienced. And that's the application that Paul most has in mind in Galatians 5, and that Jesus most has in mind in Matthew 18. It will have implications for our, it will have implications for, for our, our neighborhoods and the way we relate to the world, implications for our family. But I think it needs to be seen first and foremost in the church. In the church, we, we rub up against people who aren't uh, here because they're like us. Uh, they don't have the same interests as us, the same personalities. Uh, and we do a lot of life together. We, we love each other intimately. And the closer you get to someone, the more likely you are to sin against them because that is what we're like naturally. When Paul's uh, rebuking the Corinthian church uh, in 1 Corinthians because they're taking each other to court to settle their disputes, he says something rather radical. He says, why not rather be wronged? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Why not rather be wronged? Why Why not take the wrong on yourself and don't seek out the justice you deserve? You are so much a winner if the master has canceled your debt that you can be wronged and still win. In fact, you get to be like Jesus, and that is what you want. And that is what our master Jesus teaches us to be like. And in fact, then, we can enjoy extending that patience um, towards others because it's, it's the, the, the part of the package of our salvation as Christians. We have been given this, this freedom to do it. Uh, there's no loss for us to forgive and not seek out our justice against each other. We're not going to be naturally willing to do something this radical, but as we come back again and again to the debt that we are owed and the completeness to which Jesus' death has canceled it, we know that it will be more freeing to let that affect the way we live in every relationship in our lives. And we will be free uh, to let go. So let's pray that we'll do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you we can call you Father. We thank you as we get to know you more and more. uh, We are surprised by your amazing character and the way you relate to us um, in such deep love. And we thank you for the privilege and joy that we do not just get what we deserve. We get uh, forgiveness, but we also get you to transform our lives and we get to be like you. Please help us to dwell on the gospel, to see the depths of our sin and how much our debt has been forgiven when we relate to each other. And we pray that will mean we will extend patience to each other infinitely. We pray it would mean um, there would be no strife, uh, no discord, We pray it would ripple out to our world. We pray we would uh, move towards those who are different to us. We would extend our patience to a sinful world. We pray, please, uh, all these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.